everybody. Appreciate it. It's good to be at Northside when I was getting my doctoral degree. Actually, I was a member of this church. And it was back when it was uh, way down there somewhere, and it's amazing what you, most churches I go to, and I've been 30 years ago, they're now dead, but uh, you've been willing to change, you've been willing to minister to your community and do what you're supposed to do, and you're alive and vibrant and moving, and I love that. Uh, change isn't easy, the only person who likes change is a wet baby, and they scream the whole time, right? So I know it's tough, but uh, just keep on going, keep on moving. I'm a psychologist by training. I... Uh, uh, worked in the mental health clinic. I was a chief of diagnostic and clinical service at a mental health clinic. Uh, I left the mental health clinic. One reason I left, I couldn't tell the staff and the patients, uh, uh, except the staff had the keys. Other than that, I couldn't tell a whole lot of difference. The staff seemed to have as many problems as the patients had. So I have had a unique life. One week I worked at the mental health clinic, and the next week I worked at a Baptist church. People say, is that a big adjustment? I say, not really. The staff still have the keys. Other than that, I can't tell a whole lot of difference. Uh, the world is a changing world that we live in, though. And I, uh, actually, I'll just be honest with you. I, I got tired of being a psychologist. I mean, I just got tired. I got tired of listening. I, I just got tired of saying, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. I can understand how you feel that way. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I mean, I reached a point where I thought, I'm tired of this. I mean, why am I doing the listening anyway? And why are they doing the talking? I mean, I got a doctor's degree. I know stuff. Uh, they're seeing a psychologist. They know nothing, you know. Uh, why am I letting them do the talking? You know, why don't I do some talking? Sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? It wasn't a good idea. It, 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 it didn't go well at all, you know. It would go something like this. The guy would say, the reason I'm a loser is because my dad was an alcoholic. And I said, well, there's another way of looking at this. Maybe your dad's an alcoholic because you're a loser. I mean, there's another way of looking at it. <laughs> right? Well, let me tell you, people will not pay for that, you understand. They won't pay for that. You know? uh, so I decided to, to move on. And uh, it, let me just ask you something. How many of you remember when the only thing you had to play with was the outside? Anybody remember that? The outside. Mom would say, go outside. Go play in the ditch. Remember, you know, I, that's, that's the only thing we had to play with. You know, one year it rained a lot, we had another ditch. There's another ditch. Go play in that other ditch. You know, uh, uh, Life has changed. And uh, I mean, now my grandkids, actually, it's easier to travel with my grandkids than it was with my kids. Because grandkids, I mean, you just put them in the car and they never look up. They just do this whole time. You know, We're there. Oh, good. You know, and they get out. You know, it's a piece of cake. You know? I told my grandson the other day, why don't you come over to the house? We'll have some family time. I'll watch you stare at your iPhone. You know, just a little family time. Uh, but we had, the only thing we had was the outside. So when we went on trips, what did you have to do? You had to count, remember, Volkswagens and cows and letters in the alphabet on signs and after about 60 miles you're done I mean you're done but they're still in the back seat you know uh, and so now they're saying things like she's breathing my air you know stuff like that you know I used to tell my wife any trip over 100 miles I know why animals eat their young you know because this is tough you know this is tough you know uh, but uh, actually, the, even the names have changed now. I mean, my, my, my wife told me I am not going to be a grandma. I mean, I am not a grandmother, you know. So now they don't even, they don't even call themselves grandmothers anymore. I mean, they, they pick cute little names, you know. Like, my wife picked Mimi. I mean, what is a Mimi? You know, what am I going to be, PP? You know, uh, uh, 
I don't get it. You know, so I said, I don't care if you are Mimi. I am not pee-pee, you know. Uh, uh, I am Papa, all right? I'm a Papa. I'm not a, not a pee-pee. I'm a Papa, you know. Uh, so, so when I was a kid, the only thing we had to play with was the outside. So we played marbles. Anybody remember marbles? Some of you, this is going to sound like the History Channel, but it's, it's, it happened. I promise it happened years and years ago in a galaxy far away. Uh, marbles. Remember marbles? Oh, you know about marbles? We, we played marbles. We named them Roly-Poly, Black Beauty, Steely, and named you marbles. Well, my dad was a Baptist preacher, all right? I grew up at the parsonage. That's one reason I became a psychologist, because I thought those church people need help. And so I, uh, 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 I, I, but my dad was a Baptist preacher. You can play marbles, but you can't play for keeps. Anybody remember that? You know, can't play for keeps. Too much like gambling. And we're Baptists. We're pretty much against everything. You know, uh, you know if it's fun, you can't do it. If it tastes good, spit it out. You know, and so I... Uh, uh, and I'm pretty much Baptist born, Baptist bred when I die, I'll be Baptist dead, so I understand it. So I, uh, so I, so I told Dad, okay, I, 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 I won't play for keeps, I'll play, but I need to play marbles. So I played marbles, but I'm a kid, so what did I do? I, I played for keeps. I disobeyed my dad and played for keeps. And there's always a bully, somebody bigger, somebody stronger in the neighborhood, and he'd always lie or cheat or just threaten to beat you up. And then after a while, I realized... I've lost my marbles. I've lost my marbles. Well, how, how am I going to get my marbles back? Well, I had to go back to my dad. I had to tell the truth. I tell people all over the country, you've got to face it to fix it. Secrets of sickness. I had to tell my dad I disobeyed. I played for keeps. And the bully got my marbles. And then my dad would go confront the bully, sometimes the bully's dad, and get my marbles back. Well, that's what I, that's what I do. Best way I can explain what I do. I go around the country. And I tell people how good their Heavenly Father is and how if you're honest, if you face it, you can fix it. You go back to your Heavenly Father, tell him you disobeyed, and you can get your marbles back. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to get your marbles back. Now, we, we can't get all your marbles back. You understand that? Uh, so we have a resource table back there. We've got a lot of resources. So we pretty much have a series for whatever dysfunction you have. Uh, here's the key. Most of you don't even know what your dysfunction is. But the person beside you does. And so uh, you just ask them, what do you think I need, you know, and go back there uh, and get that. So we're going to try to get your marbles back in terms of relationships, in terms of people. Because people, relationships will determine how successful and how happy you are in life. Everything in the world moves at the speed of relationships. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2 verse 18, for the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. And we talked all this weekend about how do we learn about relationships? How do we get along? Because God's plan is for you to be around other people to complete you so you can be that person that God had in mind when he created you. Matter of fact, if you look at the research, it says that single men go in the prison and the state hospital a lot more than married guys, okay? So let me just encourage the married guys right now. How many married guys in here, married guys? Okay, let me, let me encourage you a little bit. I don't know how your marriage is going, but let's look at it in a positive way. It's keeping you out of prison. 
to keeping you out of the state hospital. Now, that's encouraging, isn't it? I mean, you ought to turn to your wife now and say, thank you, honey, for keeping me out of prison and the state hospital. And the reason she keeps you out of the state hospital is because she'll tell you when you're crazy, right? She'll say, you're crazy. Don't do that anymore. They'll put you in a state hospital. You know? uh, so people are the way we're going to have a great life or how we're going to have a messed up life. Uh, and there's some things in life that you're, gonna, you're going to go through that you're going to need people to get you through it. When we were in Dallas, Texas, uh, we would fly to Denver and then go to Vail and some of those resort areas, and we would do a lot of ski leadership conferences. And one reason we did that is because my wife just fell in love with snow skiing. She just took right, you know, she just became a snow skier. She loved it. I did not become a snow skier quickly. It was a contact sport for me from the beginning. Matter of fact, I asked, I remember the second time I went, did, could I get some airbags with this, you know, that will open? Uh, it, it, you know, and by the way, if, you, if you're going to go snow skiing, take lessons, all right? You'll have the life expectancy of a fruit fly if you don't. Uh, any sport that has an ambulance at the bottom of the hill, you know, it's a tough sport. It's a tough sport. And so uh, I, we were doing this particular leadership conference. And, and, uh, and by the way, if you want to go snow skiing, let me just give you a couple of you know, exercises here to get you ready. Find some stairs and run up those stairs as fast as you can. And then come down without your legs. Just boom, 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 boom. And do that about three or four times. Just run up there and boom, 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 boom. And that'll almost get you ready for skiing, but not quite. Then find a wall, just kind of like that wall there, and just run into the wall. Just just run into the wall, you know, and it'll knock you down, you know. And then when you're trying to get up, have somebody put ice down your back. Just ice down your back. And then give them lots of money. Here's lots of money, lots of money for doing this, you know. That's kind of what's going to happen when you go snow skiing. So I, uh, I went snow skiing for the first day, and it, it didn't go well. So I decided I'm not going the second day. I'm going to sit in the hot tub. You know, I told my wife I'm going to meditate, you know, spend some time with the Lord. Because most Christians, we spiritualize our psychological problems. And so I'm sorry, no good as you are. And so I, uh, I, I said, I'm just going to spend the day in the hot tub. Well, she said, you can't do that. You're the leader. You know, you yeah, I, to go out there. You got to face it to fix it. Start quoting all the stuff I say. I hate it when she does that. Uh, I said, look, I'm sore. I need a day to recover. She said, how could you be sore? You jog two miles a day. I said, I very rarely run into trees when I jog <laughs> or even fall down cliffs. But that's what I did yesterday and I am sore and I'm not going. And so she gives me that disgusted look. We talked this weekend about women and their disgusted looks. They go to school somewhere to teach them, how do you look disgusted at your husband? Uh, and so she gave me like disgusted look, 35 or something. And so, uh, so then my buddies come by 
And they said, what are you doing? I said, man, I'm not doing good. I'm sore. I'm taking the day off. I said, man, hello. We, know. we heard you're struggling. Look, we want to help you. you know, we, we, we'll, we'll, go, we'll go with you today. We'll work with you. I said, no, you will kill me. And they said, no, no look, we promise. It'll be all about you. We'll take care of you. We're going to the easy slopes. And they talked me into it. They said, we really want to help you. So, and they did. I mean, they were working with me. And we were going on the easy slopes. You know, they got greens. You know, they got easy blues. And they got sweet names, you know, like Peter Rabbit Run and Peach Blossom Hill and all those sweet little names. We're on these little sweet little turns. And we make a sweet little turn. And we're on a black slope. And it is straight down. And there's nowhere else to go. And when you get to the black slopes, they don't even pretend anymore. They forget about public relations at that point, and they're called things like casket runaway, you know, uh, <laughs> or pallbearers peak, you know, names like that, you know, which really is just kind of camouflage for you'll soon see Jesus after this. Uh, so I, I make the turn, I'm on a black slope, and I'm looking straight down, and I am scared to death. I mean, I'm confessing sins I just thought about doing. I mean, I, I'm surrendering to foreign missions. I'm telling God I'll go to Pango Pango if you get me down here. You know, scared to death. And then all of a sudden, a friend of mine, he's an expert skier over to my right, started calling my name. Charles, don't look down. Look at me. Make your little S's ski over to me. Don't look down. Just make your little S's ski over to me. I made my little S's. I skied over to him. He said, don't look down. He skied to the other side of the mountain. He said, now look, look at me. Make your little S's. Just come over to me. Make your little S's. And he got me down that mountain that way. There's some things in life you can't get down by yourself. There's some hills you're going to need some people around you. You need people around you to do a couple of things. One is a listening ear. You need somebody just to talk to. Somebody that kind of, it's called catharsis in psychology terms. Get it out. Somebody that you can get stuff out that you can talk to. Somebody with a listening ear. Somebody with a sensitive tear. You need somebody that you are comfortable enough with that when life knocks you down, you can cry. You can cry. You know? Especially if you're a guy, you need another guy that you could just, if you have to, you just cry. You just cry. I got a buddy of mine that's lost his wife, and uh, he, he's literally lost. He, they've been married in college. He's never had a vacation. He, he can remember without his wife. He's, he, he just doesn't know what to do, you know. And sometimes he'll call me, and we'll just end up crying. Or I was crying. You know, it's okay, you know, because it gets it out, you see. So you need somebody who will have a listening ear, a sensitive tear, somebody that give you the truth without fear, Somebody that'll tell you the truth about life. You know, the world's a Ponzi scheme. It'll lie to you. You know, uh, somebody that you can, you can believe in, that they can tell you the truth. And then somebody who'll give you a kick in the rear, right? Every now and then, you need somebody to say, hey, quit throwing a pity party. This is life. Go do it. I have a, a son-in-law who's an Army Ranger. His daughter's about 11. And there was something the other day that she, we didn't want to do. And she looked at me and says, Papa, you just got to ranger up and do it. <laughs> and I thought, you know, that's the truth. That's the truth. You, know, you need somebody to tell you that. But a friend is always near. A friend is always near. So you need those people in your life to get through the difficulties of life. So how do we do that? Let's see if we can put this footsteps into how do you make love last? Here's what it says in the Bible in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you, it's been talking to men, and now it's talking to all of us. It says you need to have unity of mind. 
I was with a couple one time, and they said, you know, if the Bible says be of one mind, which mind are we supposed to be of, hers or mine? You know what the Bible says? Let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. If you both want to do what Christ wants you to do, you'll very rarely be in cross purposes when you're headed in the same direction, you see. Uh, that's why it's talking about unity of mind. Uh, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. And then this is the verse I want to really look at. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Now let's make this as practical as we can. I've always been very practical. Even when I was in private practice, I was practical. One of my first patients couldn't remember anything. I said, when did your problem start? He said, I can't remember. I said, how long you had it? He said, I can't remember. I said, what have you done about it? He said, I can't remember. Doc, I can't remember anything. What do I do? I said, here's what you do. You pay me in advance. That's what you do. <laughs> always been very practical. Let me give you a very practical thing that will help you with your relationships probably more than any other thing. And that is this verse. It says, when even people do evil against you, you don't do evil back. When they revile, you don't revile. Now, contrary, why does it say that? Because you, want to, you don't want to. You, you, don't want to. you don't want to bless people who do evil to you. You, know? you, you want to get back. But contrary, you bless them. And, and how can you do that? Because God says, that's why you're on the earth. And when you do that, I'm the one that'll bless you. You see, we think we're going to bless somebody and they're going to bless us back. You see, if I'm going to bless your pastor, let's just say I'm going to bless him. I've been blessing him all weekend, blessing him, blessing him, bless, bless, bless. I'm just blessing him, blessing him, blessing him. Bless, bless, man, I blessed him. I blessed him in the first service. I'm blessing him again. Bless, bless, bless. You know, I got up thinking about how can I bless him today? Bless, bless. Man, I'm thinking, man, what else could I do to bless him? Just bless some more. Bless, bless some more. Bless, bless. Bless, bless, bless. Man, I have blessed him, haven't I? Man, you see me blessing him? But after a while, I start thinking, now, when is he going to bless me back? And then we start saying things or thinking things like, all I've done for him, he not done anything for me. We start to get resentful. We start to get angry. You see, you have to understand the way the world is. You can't understand. The, it's hard to see the emotional, but you can see the physical. So let me give you a physical example. One time I had an abscess tooth. I was in more pain, I think, than I've ever been in with that abscess tooth. I, I couldn't take a step and it would just like throb. Now, when I had that abscess tooth, was I thinking about other people? Only about myself because I was in so much pain. Let me tell you the kind of people you're going to run into in this world. You're going to run into some people who are abscessed emotionally. They're in so much pain they only think of themselves. And no matter how much you bless them, they're never going to bless you back. Matter of fact, I, there's probably at least one in your family. Because every family tree has a sap. You know, there's at least one in your family. They're probably no matter what you do, they're never going to bless you back. And you cannot continue to bless them unless you understand. I'm not blessing them for them to bless me back. 
I'm blessing them because God's going to bless me back. You see, God's going to take care of that. You, you do it as an act of worship, you see. It may be the, the, see, worship is not about raising your hands. It's about reaching out your hands. It's about what you do when you leave here. You know? it, it's how you bless people. And he says, contrary, think of this way and your life will change when you think about it that way. So let's see if we can put this into practice. How do you want love to last? You have to be a lover, L-O-V-E-R. And we won't get through it because I've already tried to get through it in the first message, but uh, I've never finished a message in my life anyway, so it's okay. Uh, L stands for learn. We spent the whole weekend teaching you that everybody's loved in a different way. It's like a combination lock. We love people in different ways. So today I want L to stand for a different word, and that is L stands for laugh. If you're going to have great relationships, you're going to have to understand that you're put down here to enjoy a life that God's given you. It is a gift. When the angels showed up, they didn't say, we've got a plan to make you miserable for the rest of your life. What did they say? We have good news of great joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Uh, my girls are raising their kids pretty much the way they were raised. I asked them years ago, I said, why are you doing that? Why are you raising your kids the way you were raised? And here's what they said. You'd think they would say something spiritual, you know, like, you know, one of those great sermons you preached. But they, they don't even remember a sermon I preached. You know, they don't remember. Here's what they say. We had fun growing up. And we want our kids to have that fun growing up. We want our kids to look back on their childhood the way we look back on our childhood. And say, man, that was fun. We had fun doing that. Many Christians, you don't have any fun anymore. Your halo's on way too tight. You know, you, you. What did Jesus do to start his ministry? You'd think it would be, according to churches, be an all-night prayer meeting or a revival or a crusade or just you know, go to church, stay all day. You know what he did to start his ministry? He went to a party. A party. The wedding feast at Cana. He didn't share the four spiritual laws with anybody. He just had a good time. I won't even get in the water wine deal. I did that in children's church one time. I asked a little kid, why did Jesus turn the water to wine? He said, to keep the party going. <laughs> Jesus had so much fun, the religious people were mad at him all the time. And if you have a lot of fun, religious people be mad at you too, I promise. You know, uh, I grew up in it. I, I remember I, I sang my first song in church and walked off the platform and church lady was sitting right over there. She looked at me, she, you know, I've never seen her smile in her life. A religious bun, you know, up there. She said, she says, it wasn't as bad as it sounded. <laughs> I wanted to say you're not as ugly as you look either, lady. When I was growing up, we, uh, we got a promotion one year. We used to live right at the church. The parsonage was at the church. But they bought another parsonage about a mile, mile and a half away. So we moved to live there. Of course, we had to come to church on Sunday. And because, you know, pastors didn't make any money, you only had one car. So all the kids had to ride in the car 
for all the services Sunday morning. So we had to get up for that early service. And, of course, getting, you know, four kids ready and Sunday morning, it was, it was stressful. I mean, people screaming, hollering, you know. You got 32 seconds to eat your Fruit Loops. Praise God, we're going to church. Hurry, hurry, hurry. I'm trying to... <laughs> You can't wear that at Sunday. No, you wore that last Sunday. You can't wear it. Everybody screaming, hollering. And dad, I call dad the heavenly honker because he's out in the car honking the horn, you know. <laughs> I'm thinking, why don't you come in here and help? That'd be good, you know. But finally, mother gets us out there, running into the car, slamming all the doors, you know. Everybody's mad. I'm the, I'm the fourth child. So you know where I am. I'm in the back seat in the middle on the hump. Anybody remember humps in cars? I'm in the middle on the hump in the back seat. Everybody's mad late again. And then we passed the heathen's house. You know, every neighborhood has a heathen house. You know, they don't go to church. They're heathens, you know, heathens, they don't go to church. So, so we passed, our heathens lived on the corner. We passed the heathen's house. And they're out there playing softball and laughing. And, you know, of course, dad's in his underwear drinking a Bud Light. But, but they're, they're, they're just laughing and and, of course, we're looking at them playing softball. And then Dad sees the heathen. Look at those heathens out there. They don't go to church. They don't know the joy of Jesus. And I'm going. I want to be a heathen when I grow up. How about you? Yeah, I think I'm going with the heathens. Yeah, I'm with the heathens. My friend... If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and everything you've ever done, even thought about doing is forgiven and death has been conquered, you ought to be having some fun. <laughs> you ought to be enjoying life. People ought to want to be around you. You, you know, ever wonder why the sinners wanted to be around Jesus? <laughs> Wasn't it great that we had a church that sinners actually wanted to come to? You know, that they wanted to be around us. But most people don't want to be around those people. Man, they don't, they've never had any fun and they never will. Matter of fact, you guys, maybe this afternoon, you know, maybe after lunch or something, you guys just turn to the family and say, what could we do for fun this afternoon? I mean, we haven't had fun in so long. I mean, who's got any ideas? What would we do for fun? Your kids would go, What? What did he say? We, we need to go talk to the pastor because dad's snorting sweet and low or something. I mean, something's wrong. You know. uh, just have some fun. Enjoy life. Call a neighbor who doesn't go to church and say, let's go have some fun. You know, don't talk, any, don't talk about church. Don't talk about Jesus. Try to act as normal as possible. You know? Talk about, you know, Carolina won the game. That was, you know, that was amazing, you know. I thought they're going to put us on PBS next year if we don't win soon. Uh, so uh, do something like that. Be normal. You know, it will be an attraction that you'll be able to do. Then O stands for overlook. We spent some time this weekend with the couples talking about overlooking things. 
Because that's the key to having great relationships. Because we get so bent out of shape about little things that do not matter. I tell you, I promise you, you're going to get, when you get to be a grandpa or Mimi or whatever you are, and look back, you're going to wish you'd overlooked a bunch of stuff that you got so mad at that doesn't even matter. We went to First Baptist Dallas to start a psychological counseling center for that historic church. It was a huge church at the time, and so we met some friends, and we've been there a few months, and I told the family, we've got some new friends. We're going to go to lunch today, so I want everybody to be on time, okay? Remember, I've got three daughters. Uh, I uh, lived in a girl's dorm most of my life. The only thing male in my house was a mailbox, and sometimes I'd actually go out and talk to it and say, mailbox, it's tough in there today, mailbox. Uh, <laughs> So I told the girls, gave them the on-time speech. Look, we got some friends, going to go to eat lunch. Everybody meet at the place we always meet. But today, be on time. You know, I gave them the on-time speech. And everybody was on time, except my teenage daughter, Angela. She'd just become a teenager. And, you know, how, I don't know how it happens. You just put them to bed normal, and they wake up weird. It just happens. <laughs> Five minutes late, no Angela. Ten minutes late, no Angela. You know, I am getting, as King James would say, ticketh off. You know, I am. <laughs> One couple says, look, the restaurant will get crowded. We'll go get a table so we won't have to wait. I said, thank you for getting a table. The other couple said, look, we know you're new to Dallas. You don't know the way the restaurant. We'll stay and you can follow us to the restaurant. Thank you for staying. And then underneath my breath, I thought, I'm going to kill her when she gets here. Fifteen minutes late, Angela B. bops up. Hey, Dad, how's it going? You know, just laughing, teenager. I said, word. And by the way, if you're a psychologist at the largest church in the world at the time, you can't holler at your kids. You have to develop the fine art of hollering with your mouth closed. So I said, Angela, where have you been? I've been to Sunday school. No, you have not. You're 15 minutes late. Where have you been? Uh, I've been to Sunday school. Why are you so late? I'm going to tell you. Tell me now. She said, Dad, it's an all-girls class. We wear Sunday shoes. They're very uncomfortable. We take off four class. We put them on after class. But this time, the boys, somehow, they snuck in the class. They stole our shoes. They hit them. It took us 15 minutes to find them. And then I say what parents say. I call them parental stupidism. They're things that make no sense whatsoever, but they feel good when you say them. So I said, Angela, don't you ever take your shoes off again as long as you live. All parents say stuff like that. A parent will look at a kid in the tree and say, you fall out of that tree and break your leg. Don't you come running to me. <laughs> Every generation has them, by the way. My mother used to say, don't go around with that stick. You'll poke your eye out. I said, you can't poke your eye out. You may poke your eye in. Only way to poke your eye out, take a stick of like I do like that. Well, I was grounded for like six months, I think, so... So we get in the car. I am mad, late, in front of my friends. One of their girls goes with us, the McCulloch family. One of our girls goes with them. They got three girls, too. It spreads out the misery somehow. <laughs> I'm mad, and I'm following this great Buick that the McCulloughs, you know, get to the restaurant, everybody's laughing. Mm -hmm. Late. 
And then somebody says, did the McCulloughs get a new car? And I look at that car and the McCulloch kid said, did we get a new car? You know, like they traded in Sunday school or something. I'm now looking at that car. And then somebody said, that's a Cadillac. And the McCulloch kid said, that's not my family. And then our car got totally quiet. Because everybody knew dad is following the wrong car. But do not say a word because he could kill you. Totally quiet. Except for my daughter, Brianne. She's under age eight. Kids under age eight do not have normal brains. They have Memorex brains. They just repeat what they've heard at the worst possible time. Don't ever say anything in front of a kid under age eight. You don't want repeated at the worst possible time. One time, a kid, every time he saw his grandpa, says, Grandpa, make a noise like a frog. Grandpa, make a noise like a frog. Finally, Grandpa said, Son, I'm sick of that. Every time you see me, make a noise like a frog. Why do you say that? And he said, Grandma said, when you croaked, we're going to Hawaii. Uh, <laughs> so be careful what you say in front of kids. Well, everybody got quiet. They have normal brains. Don't say a word. But Brianne, under age eight, did not have a normal brain. Didn't know any better. <laughs> she starts laughing. Isn't this funny, everybody? This is so funny, isn't it? I mean, Angela lost her shoes, but Dad's lost the whole car. <laughs> Learn to overlook. God, because of Jesus Christ, has chosen to overlook everything you've ever thought about or everything you've ever done. All he asks, you overlook the things in other people's lives. V stands for value. E stands for encourage. R stands for realize what's really important in life. How do you know what's important in life? You live life backwards. You go to the end of your life, and one day you look back on your life. One day you're going to die. Death runs in my family. I think it runs in yours. Pretty much come in this world. No teeth, no hair, no bladder control. That's pretty much how you're going out. It's a short trip from diapers to depends, isn't it? Don't get arrogant about life. Go to somebody's funeral. You see, when you die, they're going to put you in a box. Your family's going to go home and eat potato salad. And then they're going to fight over everything like a game of some kind. So what's important in life? Well, take Yogi Berra's advice. Yogi said, go to somebody's funeral. He said, if you don't go to their funeral, they probably won't come to yours. That's what Yogi said. Go to somebody's funeral and watch what shows up. Same three things show up at everybody's funeral. It's the only three things that matter. Faith, family, friends. Only thing that matters. Why everything else goes back in the box. Everything else is, has no meaning. How do you know what's important in life? You live life backwards. You think about. Matter of fact, the business world has a phrase for that. They say learn to think outside the learn to think outside the box. My wife travels with me a lot. She's heard me say that phrase. They'll put you in a box and your family will go home and eat potato salad. She's probably heard me say that a hundred times. 
Something happened to us I hope never happens to you. But it could and one day it will. Two o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. You never forget when your life changes. Two o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. I told my five-year-old grandson that his two-year-old brother was dead. People brought us stuff. You know what people do. And one day my wife motioned for me. She wanted me to see something. She couldn't talk. She just had tears in her eyes. She just wanted me to come. I came and she pointed down. She couldn't talk. She just pointed down. I looked down and somebody had brought us a large bowl of potato salad. And then my wife said this. It happens to everybody. It even happens to us. And then she said this. When you go around the country and tell that potato salad story, you tell those people, if you have someone to love, you need to love them now. If you have someone to forgive, you need to forgive them now. Hope you meet my wife one day. She, uh, she has a lot of culture. She, she's a classy lady. She, you've heard me speak. You know I have no class. I, I have no culture. She, she spent her life trying to culture me up, class me up, take me places. She said, we're going to New York to the Met. I thought we're going to a ball game. I was pretty excited about it. Come to find out we went to this large museum. She loves museums. She loves the opera. I don't get the opera. My neighborhood, you shot a guy. He died. He didn't bleed and sing for 20 minutes. Uh, I, I don't get the opera, you know? Uh, she likes the ballet. I don't get the ballet. I told her if they got taller men and women, they wouldn't have to stand on their tiptoes. Everybody could relax and have a lot more fun. <laughs> she likes classical music. I said, if it's that good, they'd get some words to go with it. I just don't get that culture thing. But I love my wife, and we went to Paris, France for our anniversary, and she wanted me to go to the Louvre. Now, if you don't have any culture, let me tell you guys, the Louvre is one of the largest museums in the world. It's huge. It's like the state of Maine or something. And if you have no class and you get the opportunity to go to the Louvre, I'd pass it up. <laughs> Surely you can get ESPN over there by now. But anyway, I... I <laughs> I mean, just a lot of naked men statues, actually. I mean, I hate, I hate to tell you that, but it was, it was just weird. I mean, it's like before 1850. Did they not have clothes? I mean, what? But I went. Hey, I love my wife. I went. And I learned something. In 1911, the Mona Lisa, the masterpiece, was stolen from the Louvre, and it was missing for 12 years. Not really. <laughs> See if you believe that. No, it was stolen. But it was missing for two years. They knew they'd get it back. I mean, you can't sell the Mona Lisa at a pawn shop, right? I mean, they knew they'd get it back. They just didn't know when. So for two years, they left a blank space on the wall for that two-year period. Here's what they found out. More people came during that two-year period to look at that blank space on the wall where the masterpiece used to be than the previous 12 years put together to look at the real masterpiece. And you say, that is weird. No, that's normal. That's me and that's you. You see, we don't appreciate the masterpieces that God brings into our lives until they become blank spaces. If you have someone to love, you need to love them now. 
I don't have any class or culture, so I like country music. My wife says that's an oxymoron, country music. She says it doesn't go together. And some of it is pitiful, isn't it? Papa love mama, mama love men, mama's in the graveyard, papa's in the pen. <laughs> no redeeming social value there. <laughs> Remember that classic, my wife went off of my best friend and I miss him? <laughs> Remember that one? Uh, Years ago, they had one that went something like this. I hear tell of millionaires and billionaires and such who gathered all the treasure in the world and they still don't have enough. If money could buy peace of mind, I guess they'd have it all. But all the money in the world won't hold you when you fall. And then it says this, have a roof over my head and my kids have all been fed and the woman I love most lies close beside me in my bed. Lord, give me the eyes to see exactly what that's worth and I'll be the richest man on earth. The Bible says the same thing in Ephesians. It's called the eyes of the heart. It's the ability to see how rich you really are. My friend, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're incredibly rich. Why? Because he who is rich became poor so that one day you would be rich. Let me tell you how rich. So rich you will even inherit the riches of eternal life. That, my friend, means this. Not only can you think outside the box, one day you'll live outside the box. Jesus is the only one that makes relationships last. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. Lord, thank you that you're such a good God and you're our God because of Jesus Christ. If there's someone here today that's never trusted you as Savior, give them the faith to believe, not in that they can be good or they can go to church a lot, but that they would believe that you love them enough to come and live a life that they could never live and conquer death that they could never conquer because you wanted them in your forever family. Give someone the faith to believe and give the others, us, the rest of us, the ability to see how rich we are and give us the power to bless people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.